Hey, everybody, it's Emily Schramm, your host of Meathead Hippie Podcast. For all my new listeners, it is so wonderful to have you here. For somebody that's listened more than once or twice, so glad you're back. I love doing this podcast. Someone asked me why I started it. I legitimately started it because I missed having good conversations with people. So we don't really have sponsors outside of um, just me talking about my businesses and what I do and the occasional plug for people that I really believe in. But this is just your source of information for real uh, things, I guess. Sitting in the shit, feeling kind of icky about yourself, um, not knowing what to eat because everyone says to eat something else. And as soon as you eat something, the next day it's bad for you. The uh, joy of being an entrepreneur, but also the stress of it, we kind of like it all. And of course, hopefully, we maybe need some more meathead people here. We've been pretty hippie recently, but glad you're here. I wanted to just do a quick little intro because every holiday season, I do some sort of free challenge. So this will be year three. Last year was the holiday eight, and we did a little bit of everything. And I was thinking, what am I going to do this year? And I realized, one, being introduced to strength training or knowing even how to start strength training has been something I've wanted to help people with since I started. And I want everyone to feel comfortable lifting a barbell. I want everyone to walk into a gym at any time and be like, yeah, I can I can feel confident taking the squat rack and learning how to deadlift, male or female. I think that that's something that's so important. And so anyway, the point being, it's Thanksgiving. We eat a lot. Let's just learn how to lift because the best thing to do when you eat a lot is not to go run on the treadmill. Even though sweating is good, it is mostly about lifting heavy because of all the glycogen in your muscles. And it's actually science. It's not just me saying that. So I just am so stoked. Please sign up. If you listen to this podcast, there's no reason you should not be signed up. It is eight days, a free challenge. It is for people to learn about strength training, why I program the way I do, why you should squat, why you should deadlift, why you should press, why you should pull. Why do you get injured when you do those things? What should I do for mobility? How are ways I can progress into this move? How do I do it if I don't have a barbell? All of these questions shall be answered. And it is free. So go to emilystrom.com, hit start here with M. It is directly linked in the top of this um, little description. So you can just click there and go sign up because I'm putting so much into this because I want everyone to learn. You're going to just be, your mind's going to be blown. Okay. That's it. This podcast is, keep in mind, we're going to do our best with the audio, but this woman, Hannah McKeon, I met her, gosh, three years ago. And I heard her story and I, I remembered every single detail. Like I could not wait to have her on the podcast, but I knew her whole story. I just like couldn't wait to jump in about this. She has broken world records. She still holds a world record for the m- most times crossed from the shore, from the seaside or the coast to the pole in the South Pole. I said, a hor- I said that so bad, but basically this woman was like, I need to do more with my life. I'm going to quit my job in um, in London, maybe not London, but she'll tell you more about that. And then she goes and she just learns how to hike, takes a 40-day solo tour across half of Antarctica. It's, it's insane. It's just insane. And she almost died. She just talks about it like it's no big deal. You're going to love her. I just am so grateful that we got to catch 
uh, a podcast, but keep in mind she's in Punta Arenas right before we film this. So she's waiting for an airplane to get to Antarctica. So keep, that's why the audio is a little off. Okay, that's it. Go sign up for my challenge. It's free. Listen to this podcast. If you like it, leave a review because it means so much. And that's all I got. Have a great day. <laughs> I'm Emily Schramm, the ultimate meathead hippie. Welcome to the show. Hannah McKeon, thank you for taking the time out of going to Antarctica to make this happen. <laughs> Welcome to Meathead Hippie. My pleasure. How lovely to uh, to be here. I know it's been. We met. It was so funny because I somebody was talking about the only continent they hadn't been on was Antarctica. And I remember being like, well, I've known, I know somebody that's been on that continent. And I was talking about your story. And then right then, literally a day later on Facebook, it popped up that it was our friend, friendversary from when we met at the park. In so Denver. nice. Yes, absolutely. Doing that funny promotional thing. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So it's wonderful. And I know I'm catching you. So tell everybody where you are and what you're about to do. And then, well, I guess let me start this. This is, this is the bio that I found, and I think this is very outdated. So people, I'm about to interview the most badass female in the world, I think, because her story, it's just the coolest. I hope we can fit it all in. Um, so this is seriously just a small glimpse. Hannah McKeon is an English polar explorer. In 2006, she set the record for the fastest journey, man or woman, to the South Pole, um, a 600 nautical mile journey. She completed solo in under 40 days. Um, so that was the, the world record male or female, and there's been so much that's happened since 2006, but then you went in 2008 to the North pole and you had a crazy story that I got to hear about there. And now Uh, where are you going now? Well, um, all of that feels like a long time ago, um, (laughs) years go by, don't they? Uh, but I've been working on Antarctica or traveling to Antarctica and then working on Antarctica. This will be my 15th year in a row. And I'm currently sitting in South America, down in Southern Patagonia, uh, in the end of the world town called Punta Arenas. And, uh, we're waiting to go to Antarctica. We are on standby to get onto a huge uh, Illusion 7-6 Russian cargo jet. And we will, uh, as soon as the weather cooperates, we will be flying down onto Antarctica to uh, our base camp, which is at a place called Union Glacier. And we'll be landing that huge cargo jet on wheels on a blue ice runway. Uh, So it'll land on just glassy, polished ice, which is, to my mind, one of the most amazing starts to any Antarctic season. It's a really incredible operation, what they do with aviation down there. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And I've been to Punta Arenas. And you are waiting on weather because it's just insane, probably, right? So it's hit or miss no matter what time of year? It's the first flight of the Antarctic summer season. And so they have very particular... Uh, limits they call them so they're looking for a particular wind speed and a particular cloud base um, so that they can land the big plane for the first time in sort of nicer conditions than maybe they will later in the season Um, so we're just waiting for it's too windy at the moment it's blowing 40 knots on Union Glacier at the moment which is you can't even stand up in 40 knots let alone uh, just you know um, unbook unload a plane and do things safely around an aircraft so just Uh. waiting for and I love it because what are you doing? Let's just, maybe let's, 
I guess tell me what you're doing for this trip specifically. I know they probably yeah. all are a little different. And then I want to talk about your journey to your very first trip. What lit you yeah. up and you're like, I'm doing this. <laughs> well, these days, so I, as you said in your intro, I'm, I, I'm known or I got known as a ski south guide and expeditioner myself you know I never use the word explorer that seems very not quite right but um, an expeditioner and a guide and I I've skied close to pole six times which is my other world record I, I've done that yeah. uh, more times than anyone which is hilarious um, but uh, only because I know myself and it just still seems crazy to me that I have any kind of records that's that seems so uh unlike my usual <laughs> MO, but anyway, I do. Um, but it's been some years, but for the last six years, I haven't been skiing coast to pole. Um, I picked up this amazing job with this company, Antarctic Logistics and Expeditions, and um, I put in a project, which is a remote camp at an emperor penguin colony. Um, and it's a really technical project. We have to put in a camp and a runway and it's all on sea ice. So the camp and the runway are floating and we land planes on the floating sea ice and uh, we, have, we maintain a camp there for six weeks every summer. And uh, it's an amazing place. We have 8,000 emperor penguins just uh, in the neighborhood and uh, they come and go and, and we bring guests in to visit them and scientists and photographers and um so you just hang out with penguins for, for six i weeks. just hang out with penguins that's exactly <laughs> that's what amazing. i do that's amazing. i get to be i get to be the penguin lady <laughs> is that, i wonder if that's your spirit really good. <laughs> oh, it is now <laughs> like any any spirit animal i previously had has been like gently you know shouldered out of the way by 8,000 emperor penguins they're like we got this two hours now <laughs> oh, that's so cool and what do you what's your favorite thing when you're there with the penguins is it showing other people just like the beauty of Antarctica is it um for you personally what's that big draw that keeps you going so far south it's such um oh it's such a leveling place you know you it strips away all the nonsense of real life in the world and finances and relationships and, you know, the, your roofs falling off or, you know, whatever your silly day-to-day -day things are. And it just puts you in this really exposed environment where you suddenly are able to remember what it is just to be a human animal, to be in touch with the basics of existence, to be concerned by shelter and nutrition and your ability to move safely and it just puts you back into the environment back into the world um in a way that nowhere else quite does for me um i feel fairly comfortable most places in the world but down there i'm always alert you know very very highly tuned and alert to what's around me and I love that feeling it's like it's like when Dorothy steps into Oz and it all goes into glorious technicolor that's kind of how I feel when I step set foot on Antarctica like suddenly the world goes into glorious technicolor and I get this heightened sense of being I really like that <laughs> ah, I love it and so you said six times your world record what was the term that you use from skis to to from end to end I, right I, I, I skied from the coast to the pole. So coast from the, the coast of Antarctica to the pole. Yeah. Um, 
I haven't done a crossing. I haven't been right across, although I would like to very much. I hope one day I can uh, put together that kind of expedition, but it's really long and really hard, especially yeah. the way that I would like to do it. Because <laughs> um, the one you did, it's uh, the world record was 40 days, just under 40 days, right? Yes. 39. Is- yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, and so let's talk about... It got beaten pretty heftily. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's just incredible that you, I, I kind of want to hear about your first attempt, like, okay, talk about where this drive of like, I know a little bit about your story, okay. how out of the box this was for you. And I want to know about what sparked it in the first It was, time. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is, this is so great for my listeners. I, I you, you would think, wouldn't you? I, I regret to say that I have no recollection of the moment that I decided to go to Antarctica. I, I have been asked this question before and I literally have no recollection of it. What I can tell you is that previously my first departure from Hannah's comfort zone was that I spent three years traveling in North Africa in the um, Eastern Sahara with some rock art researchers. Um, and I was just a volunteer and a foot soldier with them. And we would go and survey bits of the Eastern Sahara and look for cave paintings. And that took me for the first time into a really big exposed bit of wilderness that gave me that feeling, that sort of heightened feeling I was talking about. And so it was a quite a sort of easy sidestep to want to go from a hot desert and experience a cold desert and the biggest wilderness on the planet. And I think it was just a sort of daydream that sort of came to me over time. I, there was no epiphany moment. There was no, oh, I read Shackleton as a kid and knew I had to go to Antarctica. There was none of that. It was just this sort of this longing for big empty spaces, this sort of sense of wanting to feel small. Um, I'm a, you've met me. I'm a really big person. I am a, you know, and I'm not a big elegant person. You know, I'm not Naomi Campbell. I am a big, clumpy, big person. And... No, it's really true. You're sweet, but it is. And uh, (laughs) so I spend a lot of time feeling a bit too big for the world. I feel like, you know, everyone's a bit daintier than me and a bit, you know, um, knocking things over less and being less obvious than, you know, when I walk into a room, everyone knows I've just walked into the room. You know, there's no sort of sneaking in quietly. And it's a shame because that's my personality. I, I can be very uh, high functioning and and social, but I'm in my heart. I'm a true introvert. Introvert. I'm quiet. I would like to sort of sidle into a party and no one notice. But you know, I can't get away with that. Like, because there's six foot two of me and and you know, a solid lady. So um, yeah. So when I started encountering these places, it was in a really, it was a really refreshing feeling because I feel so tiny in these places. I feel like this little insignificance back and that's really a lovely feeling that I treasure so <laughs> no I love I love how you said that um well the thing we love the most in this podcast and what we talk about the most is how the world has taught us to take up less space and we hate that so I I just love how much taking up space you are doing and quite I mean you're you just said I'm doing it because this is drawing drawing me there. And I think that's where a lot of people get stuck, right? Like they have maybe a draw or a calling or a pull. Um, Mm -hmm. How did you get through those, those big, huge, oh shit, what are you doing? Doubts that we all tend to have. (laughs) There's a classic bit of video of me. I I was taking sort of little self, uh, selfie video diaries when I was on my solo expedition. 
And uh, I did a little training trip before I left just to get myself warmed up. You know, I just went out for a week skiing around the mountains in Antarctica and getting myself back up to speed with everything. And there's this classic clip where I just had a crappy day and some things broke and then I managed to fix them. But then I just felt bad. And I it just, it was a horrid sort of, it was kind of a PMS-y day, if I'm honest. It was like, <laughs> I, <laughs> and I was just like, I don't know why I'm here. And I don't know <laughs> why I would do this again. It was just the hardest thing I ever did. And now I'm trying to do it in a harder way. And that's stupid. And, and I just, I don't know what to do. And so I just do this big kind of like whine to myself at the camera. And then I realized that I have to take a, make a schedule um, to the camp and tell them where I am. And I, and I just switch and I go, so I'm going to do a schedule now. I'm not going to mention any of this. And I'm going to be cheery and optimistic on the phone. And nobody's ever going to know um, except anyone who watches this video, which will probably only ever be me. So I'm actually just talking. <laughs> that's weird <laughs> and that's it but that's kind of my personality I you know I'll have a good sort of crisis and a suffer and a little meltdown but I have a lot of pride and I don't want that to be on display to the world so you know I I I'll, I'll try and process them privately and then I'll like push them aside and I'll be like I just there's just not enough time in life to be crushed by feelings of anxiety or lack of confidence you know it's just like it's not I don't mean be overly confident like don't be a dick I mean <laughs> I mean have some faith in yourself and dig deep and sometimes it's hard and that's what you've got to do and I I'm okay at that you know I, <laughs> yeah. I, do, have my own, I do have a little meltdown sometimes but mostly I'm good at crushing them aside and going okay well that was great but now we have to move on and get on with it so <laughs> I love it. And I, I'm just trying to visualize what it would feel like to be alone for 40, almost 40 days. Um, ah. Was that the longest you had been alone before? Oh, very much so. Yeah. Um, but interestingly, and this makes, well, you, uh, makes me a bit of a sham artist really, but it, what people always assume that that was the hardest thing and that, gosh, weren't you lonely? And the reality turned out to be that although I felt alone, I never felt lonely. Um, I, as I say, I'm naturally internally quite an introvert and I actually relished that time of being alone. And it felt like almost like a big meditation exercise. It felt like this giant, you know, beautiful moment in my life to just be alone and think and look at an empty blank canvas of the world and I, it was a really special experience and something that I treasure and I sometimes long for um so far from that being the element that was hardest it was actually a bit of a treat <laughs> I love that that's a great answer and I think when you were you're just on a mission right so you were like you had schedules and you had things to to check and things to do and yeah. protocols. So it was like, uh, it is almost this routine that becomes meditation. It makes, it makes yeah. sense. All day, every day, you do exactly the same thing. Like you wake up at 6am and you put the stove on and you melt some snow and you eat breakfast and then you pack your gear up and you put it all in your sled and then you put your skis on and then you ski for 11 hours and then you go, you put your camp up and go back to, you know, it, yeah. and it's exactly the same. And the only variable is the environment, the weather. 
and some days it's just still and blue skies and lovely and then other days it's raging and a blizzard and a storm and you can't see more than 10 feet ahead you know and other days it's just like cloudy and gray and it, and you just carry on if you're successful in that environment you just carry on just doing exactly the same thing every day and it's not that you ignore the environment but you're just like it's like saying yeah all right then there's no need to fuss you know <laughs> i'm just gonna do my thing great okay i can see you're very wound up today world but i'm just gonna i'm just gonna do my thing if that's okay and i'll just Sorry, I'll I try not to get in the way. <laughs> I love that. What a life lesson. Gosh, I love you. Really grew. I, I could use some of this, I feel like. Um, for you. For you when, sometimes the, okay. world, the, the outside world feels like that, doesn't it? Yes. You know, when you sometimes you, you know, there's, you know, bills and demands and pit people and traffic and. and really you do just sometimes have to check out a little bit and go you know what I'm just I'm just doing my thing through the world and I'm not going to be too rattled by anything like that yeah (laughs) and I I love this and as you're stepping you know like I think my sister and I both realized we sometimes count when we're on long hikes or 14ers or we have long runs we we have to have something in our head that goes around um did you have any sort of like sayings or songs or like methods to kind of when yes. it was like blizzard in front of you just to kind of keep your eyes down or eyes up <laughs> I'm just curious. um i had oh i think you mean something useful and i was going to come up with something not very useful you know those earworms that you get oh no um, that's useful but, well it can be useful i suppose except the one that I got stuck in my head for probably about four days and on a couple of occasions. Um, there's a British comedian called um, Billy Connolly. He's Scottish. Have you ever come across him? I have He's very funny. And he, he's a Scottish man who's got long curly hair and he's very funny. And he sings some comedy songs. And he just, there, I don't even know where it was, but there was this silly Billy Connolly song that he for some reason popped into my head and it's about rubber boots you know in england we call rubber boots wellies you know wellington boots okay. and uh he goes if, if if you didn't have your wellies where would you be you'd be in hospital or infirmary it <laughs> would have a dose of the flu or even pleurisy if you didn't have your feet in your wellies and i just that went round and round my head for days and days and I'd be skiing along going and I rang the base camp I know I rang the base camp one day and I said they said how are you doing and I said well I feel a little suicidal and I may kill myself. Um, luckily, they know me and know that I'm not ever that, you know, and it's my sense of humor. So the, the comms person is laughing. She says, why? why? What, what's going on? I said, well, I've been singing this stupid song for four days now and, and I think I'm going to kill myself. If, if I, <laughs> I said, so please, would you um, sing me a song, a really catchy, irritating annoying song i need a new earworm you have to find something really bad and um 
So then she, she said, okay, let me think about it. And the next morning I called in and she said, uh, are you ready? And I went, yes. And I said, I don't know if this was in America. There was a, um, Kylie Minogue. Was she a big in America? Oh, yes. She's yeah, a yeah. pop star, Australian yeah, yeah. from forever ago. And her first ever hit was a song called I Should Be So Lucky. Oh. It's really annoying. <laughs> and um, the comms operator went, I should be so lucky, 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 lucky. I should be so lucky. And I was like, oh, that's it. And that's it. And then I was stuck for that for days. And I really wasn't sure if I was grateful or not. But anyway, so <laughs> I'll never forget. In my heart, it was just like, no, not that one. <laughs> I love this because I think so many of us talk about adventure and going on it, right? And then... We just get stuck in our nonsense and we think about it too much. And I think that one thing I would love your advice for myself even, or for people that are listening, like when it comes to getting started and being maybe not the explorer, cause you don't like that word, but exploring the world more in yeah, a way yeah. that we need to experience as humans, we have to experience and we just don't because we get stuck sure. in corporate world, which I think is the world you were in before this, correct? Yes, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. What, what's your advice for people? I mean, is it just go do it or is it find the right people? Is it find the thing that draws you? I mean, that's a big question, but I, um, so many times have, I feel like the logistics of going on a big exploration like this stops mm -hmm. people, kind of paralyzes them and like, oh, that's too big for me to try. A great friend in London. He's pioneered something that I really enjoy the concept of because he's really aware of this obstacle for people to sort of take that first step into doing something. And his theory on it all, which I am a big advocate of, is um, to set yourself up um, with a micro-adventure. He, he likes this concept of micro-adventures. And he's got a book of them out now, I think. I think if you looked up Al Humphreys and micro-adventures, uh, he's got a book of suggestions. And his, his point being is like, you don't have to spend, you know, six months planning a thing and then executing a thing at great expense and difficulty. He said, you know, go out this weekend and take your sleeping bag and you know go find a micro adventure and he has all these like little ideas of you know to spark you and he's like you we're just not doing that enough you know it's okay to just embrace what's possible while you're dreaming about what seems impossible um and i i love that idea you know um and you know where i live i live in the forest up above in the mountains up above salt lake city and it's really easy for me to have a micro adventure like pretty much the, the other day I needed to get something late in the evening from my car. I'd left it in the car and I walked out of the house and there was a moose standing between me and the car. <laughs> I was like, oh, hello, moose. <laughs> but I, uh, that, that was an unexpected micro-adventure. But yeah, you know, just go camping. You know, I mean, some people have never been camping and camping couldn't be easier, really, you know. Um, and it's certainly a thing that, you know if you take baby steps you can it's fun to screw up at as well you know it's quite nice to screw up things and just and then you can have a laugh a year later about oh my goodness do you remember that first time we went camping and <laughs> no to put a something in there and then it was all a disaster and we ended walking home in our socks at 3 a.m and suddenly you've had a micro adventure and you've got an amazing story to tell and make people laugh you know so 
I mean, you yeah. just, you learn so much about yourself when you do them. And I'm curious, some of the lessons you probably, they probably change every year and every time you go back, but um, what were some of the lessons that you learned about yourself? Like, what are the biggest takeaways from, from this huge change that you made, which I think you, it's become such a part of you that it, it's, it probably doesn't feel like a big deal at all, but it is so cool, Hannah. I hope you realize how badass it is that you have taken this. <laughs> this life twist, you know? Thank you. Thank you. I've been trying to teach, I'm quite a self-effacing person. And the last year or so, I decided I was going to try and teach myself to take a compliment um, because I would usually brush it away with some yeah. silly comment. And I thought, actually, no, I, I have done unusual things and I know that some of them are cool, even though that makes me sort of squirm inside to say out loud. So I'll say thank you. That's very nice Yay. of you to say that. <laughs> Way to practice what you preach. <laughs> I haven't quite perfected it yet. I feel slightly nauseous now, but anyway. Um, yeah, maybe that's one of the things I learned. I don't know. Yeah. I think also I was a I'm a really ordinary girl, and I know that you will resonate with this because your story is amazing as well, and your backstory, you know, um, and how you sort of turned yourself around into being a sort of great version of yourself. And I, you know, at school, I was never good at sports. I was always chosen last. I was kind of big and galumpy. I wasn't really interested in anything like that. Not at all competitive. And then, you know, when I went to university, like I piled on weight and I just sort of became heavy and miserable, really. And I never, I've never felt good about myself in, because um, I'm not a conventional person. Um, I, again, another London friend who's this beautiful, perfect, blonde, gorgeous, like debutante type Londonite um, said to me the other day, she said, believe it you're the one of the nicest people I know I don't understand why you're still single and we were she was comparing me to another friend of hers that isn't and I said but look at us we're not we're not conventional pretty pretty girls you know we're a handful we're you know headstrong and and big and you know you'd really have to love our characters to be you know with us and we live in such a sort of instant world of you know, relationships and dating and that kind of thing, you know, it's very hard to develop those longer term, you know, affectionate connections that just take a little bit of time. Um, but yeah, I, I was saying that, um, you know, identifying after a childhood and a, you know, a, a youth, a, a young adultness of feeling really inadequate and not that pretty and not that good at stuff, you know, when it came to physical things, I suppose. Um, to then discover that there were things that I could apply this body to and excel at in a way that almost no one else in the world could. That was really exciting. And, you know, I, I'm still learning that lesson. You know, I still sometimes feel awkward and big and galumpy, usually at sort of parties and things. But it's, it's okay because I know that I'm really good at some things. And I love the fact that athletes can look all different shapes and sizes. Yeah. Look at a shot putter next to a sprinter, you know, they, you know, guess what? People are, can be good at something, you know, regardless of what shape they are. And for women, I think that's 
a huge thing to be able to learn and embrace. It's not easy though, is it? Oh, it's not. But I love that so much in so many ways, Hannah, because I think it's one thing, you know, when you feel like you're kind of just average or like going through life and it's like, this is it. Like I'm nothing extraordinary, but it, even if you're not an athlete, there still is something about movement and fixing, finding what your body does well at moving. And, mm. and I don't know if we can tap into that capability and that power and that empower, that internal empowerment without the use of movement, right? So I think mm. it was so, it's so interesting because it, it's what you said. It's like it, so many times people are like, well, I'm not an athlete. I'm not meant to do that this X, Y, Z, but there is always a movement that I think is almost a necessity for you to start to understand the power your body has mm-hmm. that we, we can't trick ourselves into thinking we have to just do. I just, I love that you said that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I sometimes say that, you know, I'm, I'm like a shark. If I, if I stop moving, I'll just sink to the bottom and die. <laughs> I'm kind of the same. I just, if I stop moving, I just, I just want to, I, wouldn't care. I would just take me away. I don't, I go crazy. <laughs> I, 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 I feel like, you know, half the girls in the audience are now going, Oh, we hate, we hate you. you, you oh, I always need to move. I just want to highlight that I also have an exceptional ability to stay in my pajamas all day and, you know, eat a pint of ice cream. So, you know, well, I'm totally about to go take a hot bath. So I'm with you on that. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> let's bring in all those ladies who struggle with the moving you know it's okay you know it is hard work it just feels good too I love it and the one of the questions I for sure wanted to get to is really you had this um so you went to the North Pole it was kind of like well I now see that as my new challenge and there was a pretty scary situation that happened while you were there and I think so many times, and this is a long way of asking this but this is a quite figurative like very, I guess not figurative. It's literal of there's a situation that sucks and that is hard and you, there is no option. You have always been like, I will figure it out. And I'm just, Mm -hmm. I'm curious if there's, um, as you explain this story, like I'm going to just listen in to see if there's tendencies. Cause I want everyone to realize that they can figure it out. Like in any situation, Mm. there's so many times that's where people get stuck and that's more figurative. Like fitness, nutrition, their goals, they just get stuck and kind of paralyzed again. But the concept that you have, it's, it's like, can you explain the story that happened in the North Pole? And you don't have to spend a ton of time on it because I know you've said it a thousand yeah. times, but I would no, love No, no, no. I, well, I'd give this sort of quick version, but I, I'd got this idea after my solo South Pole trip that I wanted to try and be the first woman to go solo to the North Pole. Um, which still hasn't been done, um, still out there for some exceptional lady. Um, and uh, so and I wanted to go from Canada, which is the harder route. Um, the ice conditions are really difficult there. Um, you're climbing over huge obstacles all day, every day, dragging your sled up over them. There's thin ice, there's open water. You have to swim, you have to clamber, you have to, it's a really, it's like a, it's like a 24 hour CrossFit for 60 days, you know, it's kind of that sort of thing. And, <laughs> and uh, I got 16 days into the journey, I was moving very, very slowly, having to work very hard to get through this terrain with my load. And uh, I got to this big sort of feature in the ice that I couldn't see an obvious way 
beyond and I decided I'd unclip from my sled and climb up on it to have a look forward and see if I could see a route that made sense to me. And uh, there'd been a lot of drifting snow and there was, it turned out there was a crack on top of this feature that was sort of snowed over and I didn't identify it until I skied onto it and I just fell through the ice um, into this crack in the ice. And uh, I basically um, dislocated my shoulder and I bit my tongue really badly and I twist, you know, I twisted my back and I, I just felt beat up in a very kind of generally beat up horrible way and also had a dysfunctional arm then. Um, and it turned out that this hole I'd fallen onto did not have an obvious way of escaping. I was really stuck in this hole in the ice. And I was in there for probably just over an hour. It wasn't, um, it wasn't one of these, like, I'm going to write about a book about my, you know, three-week epic where I cut my foot off, you know, nothing like that. <laughs> but it was a, an hour in, in a hole in sea ice that I couldn't, you know, I had to find a way out because I was thousands of miles from the nearest assistance and you know I needed to get myself out and um, all of my comms equipment and my survival gear was in the sled that I had unclipped from and left yeah. on the surface when I'd skied onto this thing to try and find a way um, so you know I began by you know assessing and going it's fine I, I, I'm going to figure this out and then thinking no I'm not and I just couldn't see a way and I tried some things and couldn't get out. And then I had a mini meltdown for maybe, I don't know, five minutes or something, just sobbed and like terrified. And then that little voice in my head just went, great, okay, you, are you done? Because we still need to get out of the hole. So <laughs> probably should just dry your eyes and get back focused on the problem. And uh, in the end, I managed to figure out a solution where the, I had a one of my skis had popped off, so I only had one of my skis in the hole with me, and I had my ski poles because they'd been on my hands, and I put the poles across the hole like a rail, and I pulled some of the snow and ice down into the hole with me with the ski like a sort of sort of scrapey tool, and um, I managed to lean the ski up against the side of the hole, and use the binding as a single step ladder, you know, up, and I thought if I can just get my my shoulders above the lip then you know I'll be able to somehow just wriggle my way forward and out but I kept trying and trying and it, the ski just kept skittering out from under me and I kept like falling and not making it and I was trying to get out so that I could I was sort of pulling up on my um my good arm on the poles across the hole and trying to slide out on that same shoulder that I was using to pull up because I wanted to protect the the other shoulder. And after a while I sat down and I thought, I know how to get out the hole and it's really gonna hurt. I've got to I've got to lean on the hole with my bad shoulder and I've got to pull up with my good arm free to move and I'm and I've got to slide out on the hurt shoulder. And uh, I didn't like the idea of that at all, but I realized that was the way out. And so I had one of those moments. I don't know if you ever know that there's a difficult thing that's going to happen, like maybe something's going to hurt or something's going to taste bad. Or, uh, and you're like, I've got to do it. I've got to give all the effort the first go because I'll never be able to give that much effort again. I, I'll, I'll always be scared of what it felt like. You know, yeah. if I don't go full effort the first time, then you know, this isn't going to happen. 
so I got myself lined up and I got the bad shoulder against the ice and I got the got the rail and uh and I was like okay I'm just like ripping a band-aid off I was just like okay the count of three no four <laughs> I'm gonna go <laughs> uh, I just like gave it everything and then just shot myself up and out of the hole slid out onto the arm and uh and screamed <laughs> but part Partly with pain and partly with utter relief of being out of the hole, but yeah. Oh my god! So that happened. Yeah, you are, Hannah. You are incredible. <laughs> I know you don't want more compliments, but I just this this story stuck with me for years. I just you have been such a you've been so inspiring as far as hearing that and just knowing you know anybody if they choose to do so can put themselves in the most incredible, sometimes terrifying situations and start a new life. That's really what you did. You started a new life. And I just love that. Yeah, that moment. Yeah, I suppose so. That's a lovely way to put it. Yeah. We talk about um, risk a lot in my industry, you know, running camps, operations on Antarctica. Um, And we, you know, I think that uh, risk is a really interesting topic to me, but um, how how we analyze it, how we we normalize it quite a lot in my industry, the type the type of people that I work with, we're constantly asking each other and ourselves, are we normalizing risk here because we're slightly freaky and we think that, you know, landing a helicopter on a cliff top is normal or, you know, what whatever the mission is. And we're like, wait a minute, are we are we being us here? Like, or is this actually okay? Um but one of the other things I always talk about is like sometimes there's a scenario or a, an issue where you don't quite know what the solution is and I think you could apply this to anything in life um, and you you can sort of freeze you can just be sort of frozen and stagnating in a in a moment that you don't know what the solution is and I always say if that sort of kind of situation comes up change something just change anything it doesn't really matter because the moment you change something in a situation, you change your perspective on it. You suddenly see it from a different angle. And usually it'll either get better or worse. And if it gets worse, you're like, oh, not that. That was the wrong thing. Okay, well, let's go the other way and, you know, see if that's right. You know, um, and I think you can apply that in sort of more complex terms to anything, whether it's, you know, stagnating in a career or, you know, stagnating in a relationship or, in a, you know, um, a physical challenge, you know, like training, like from your industry, I'm sure you know what I mean from your industry. If you're, you're, if you're hitting a training plateau and you're not really getting anywhere with what you do, change something, you know, yeah. and it'll either get better or it'll get worse. But then you know which way which direction. is likely to be right. Yeah, exactly. So just changing perspective all the time. Um, yeah, and I like that. I, I use that all the time to achieve the things that I'm trying to get done. <sighs> This has been amazing. I appreciate so much your time. Seriously, in uh, basically on the end of the world in Punta Arenas <laughs> and waiting for a flight to Antarctica. This is so cool. Where can people uh, see your journey and see the penguins and where can they uh, find you? Not very well, not very easily. <laughs> um, <laughs> if they, I, I, I'm going to give myself a sneaky little plug because actually, if people are interested in polar travel and expeditions, mm-hmm. um, it's something that for some years now, uh, you know, some years ago, I identified as this sort of 
this well of unknown and, and this intimidating thing, like how would you ever do something like that? So uh, in response to that requirement and that interest, um, I actually started a company called Polar Expedition Training. And our entire raison d'etre, our total mission is to help anyone who's got any kind of dream of winter travel, even in just quite a modest way, and uh, also want to undertake expeditions um, of this kind and get that kind of experience and skill set. So we love everyone and anyone. We, I've trained a 73-year-old lady who's going to ski to the last degree to the South Pole this year. I've trained a 15-year-old boy who became the youngest person to ski close to South Pole. You know, we take everyone and we, you know, we have real faith in every human animal to be able to achieve something extraordinary. I love that. And where do they, is it a website that they can go to? Indeed, polarexpeditiontraining.com. Yeah. Boom. Does what it says on the tin. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for being on Me at Hippie. Thank you. Of course, I always ask what the spirit animal is, but I think we decided it's penguin probably in this moment. Penguin. Must be penguin. (laughs) (laughs) Well, safe travels. I can't wait to dig in a little bit more about what you're doing and keep posting. Um, When you come back, when you post, we'll see what, how your trip was when you're back. Yay. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Emily. Lovely talking to you. You as well. (laughs) Bye.